Boots and Cats and Boots and Cats and Boots and Cats, PJ's Podcast. Welcome to PJ's Podcast, where we speak of the three things that matter, politics, Jesus, and sports. We have a very special guest on the show today. He's an up-and-coming blogger and adjunct professor. He's also a parkour enthusiast, workout junkie, world traveler, and on top of all that, he holds a PhD, and he happens to be the world's fastest psychologist, Julian <laughs> Frazier. Julian, what's up, brother? Yo, wow, so many accolades. And actually, I, I, I need to fact check that, but I think that actually might be true, that last one. I'm pretty sure it is, right? Did You, you ran track in college, right? Right. So I ran um, mostly the 400 meters at the University of Tulsa. And so that was there for five years. I redshirted a season. Um, and I'm, I am I still, yeah, try to stay in shape today. So I don't know if any psychologists listen that want to throw down, we can race. Oh, my God. Hey, I'm reaching out. Can we, can uh, we I'm reach reaching out, out and, get, if there's, and actually if put there's, this to the test? Oh if my there goodness. are any psychologists... If there's any psychologists out there that think they are fast, I will I will personally buy you a plane ticket to Denver, Colorado. Absolutely. That would but be if you the lose, greatest I'll, thing ever. But if if you lose, you're paying me back. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it's it's out there. It's in the universe now. We can't take it back. It's out there. Oh my goodness, that is hilarious. So did you uh like win any Bring titles some or gym- anything? We're gonna get some Jamaican psychologists hit us up. Be like, Rasta man, I I can outrun the Julian Fraser man. I was just thinking of the United States. I didn't even think internationally. There's a, there has to be at least one challenger somewhere out there. I know we're put, we're putting this out. We're we're open an open invitation for any said, psychologists said, out there. Yeah, we said world's fastest psychologists. We, we did America's fastest psychologists. We so, said world. Uh, uh, we already you know. put you on a pedestal, Julian. All right. Well, hey, I, I'll try to live up to that expectation. I'm, I'm sweating a little bit. Uh, the comment section is open. Wow. <laughs> um, well, while I was at the University of Tulsa, um, I think that our 4x4 indoor uh, set a school record. Um, it was also the first time in like eight years that we had we were able to win conference. Um, and that was kind of a combined sort of team effort. Right. So the the uh, at the time CUSA, the, the conference had like two of the smallest schools, including like the University of Tulsa and like SMU and then like the University of Houston. <laughs> and so the, the comparison Jeez. between just the number of people that they could just put on the field where it was entirely different. Uh, so it was a little bit of a David and, and Goliath situation, but that that felt real good. That's awesome. Did you you, uh... Go ahead. Oh, do you still hold the high school records or have they been beaten? Oh, no, I still have, I think, six high school records. Um, I think one of them was beaten but, oh, okay. Um, okay. by like 0.01 or something like that. But yeah, yeah. Could, so, could have been a clocking yeah. issue, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Gotta it, was, it. It, was win, it was win win dated, win dated. Yeah. Yeah. NTP, to be fair, Ruben, to be fair, Ruben, I, I never ran track. So that's that's the only reason why mm-hmm. he has six records. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, okay. I'm going to fly never you beat... down there, Monty. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we're we're going to have never a brother beat track me, like... session. I'll even fly my brother down there because I'm right. sure he oh, can oh, keep oh. up too. 
So we're gonna well, we're gonna have Fraser... a, a Mitchell and Fraser track meet. Oh, they're Fraser. But we're not gonna combine store scores because I'm <laughs> god awful slow. Oh, so boy. it's winner take all. No, no yeah, combining we... here. The, I don't think Fraser my brother brothers... would agree to that either. Oh, you don't no. want that Fraser work. Ah, <laughs> uh, we we yeah, we had a di divide and conquer strategy. So Monty took football and i think by the time i i got there they were like my par parents were like no you're not allowed to play. i was too small <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh wait you're bigger than monty though how does that I, work? i'm bigger than now then. back then i was yeah. i was scrawny i put on all of this after really um, after i finished track and field wow. yeah yeah well yeah that's he, funny he's massive now he's a rock i, I know i'd like that. to see you guys wrestle See, who, oh, who's, who's winning the wrestling match between you two? Um, I'll kick him in the balls and run away. <laughs> I, I got, yeah, I got a lot of injuries now. I, I'm that hip. You got a hip issue. Hip. You know what to go I, for, yeah. huh? Yeah, I, I know where to. I'll work that hip. But mm -hmm. he's got me on. He's got me on that one. Well, uh, yeah. Julian, you're a, a practicing psychologist in Colorado, right? Yeah. What's so, what's uh, the uh, yeah. what's the overall feel? Um, for oh, is there something you specialize in like sure. men um, children yeah so what's really interesting about private practice is you kind of put your kind of marketing you know flags in different places like psychology today is a pretty common one and then folks like tend to seek you out so i am kind of a general practitioner in, in terms of my ability to work with the, the whole spectrum of like non-psychotic disorders. So if like someone came in and they're like, yeah, I'm like seeing things and hearing things, like a private practice setting may not be appropriate for that individual. They might need a little bit more care than what I can provide, you know, once a week or whatever. Um, but um, to that end, a lot of folks kind of seek you out based off of things about you. And so I'm a black man and I might be like one of the only uh, you know, black male psychologists in, you know, Denver, Denver metro area. And so I, I just have a disproportionate amount of, you know, people of color of men in particular. Um, and so the, the folks that seek you out, you tend to build a little bit more expertise in working with and, and working within. So, um, yeah. So, so you're definitely you're... the fastest psychologist in Denver then or Colorado. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, had I, th I, th I think you can claim that two. one. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, so you're, uh, you know, your clients are majority, uh, black males, right? Um, I, I have a number of men, a number of small business owners, um, a few folks who reach out based off of like performance-based things at work or in sports. Um, and then I probably do have a, a disproportionate amount of black men. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what's the, uh, most common, uh, thing that people seek out? Is it, you know, just to a general overall health and wealth, or is there a, a reoccurring, you know, uh, thing that they're coming to see you for? Sure. <clears throat> um, so I'll try to anno uh, avoid the annoying answer uh, that, you know, psychologists or experts give, which is <laughs> it depends. And so just assume that whenever I answer a question that the first answer to that question was it depends, and then I'll try to elaborate so that it's <laughs> not as annoying. Um, so I'd say that there's about, well, first of all, most people seek help because there's a problem in their life in one way or another, whether it's the way that they're feeling or something at work or something in relationships that they weren't able to solve themselves, right? Because ultimately, if someone has an issue, they're going to go out of their way to try to solve that problem on their own. 
And once they've, you know, had that trial and error and they've hit the error too many times, they're like, boy, maybe I need some support around this. Maybe I need some help. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And to that end, there's typically about five areas that I would say, you know, if I was kind of try to go down bullet points where people run into snags um, and they have these problems, they have trouble fixing on their own. And the number one is um, actually relationships, um, whether that's dating relationships, whether that's lack of relationships, loneliness, we see that a lot, whether it's connecting with friends or community, that's a big one. Work is a big one. Um, I, I think I've had about between like five and 10 folks just over the past six months due to all these tech layoffs and how that's been shaking up people's lives and livelihoods. Mm-hmm. Um, physical health is a big one. So um, I'm thinking about the both like gradual chronic changes in health, as well as things that are like sort of sudden onset. I'm thinking of one gentleman mm-hmm. who you know was in his 40s and just got hit with a, a heart attack out of nowhere. And now he has to figure out his his life there's the yeah. you know emotional fitness piece right which is that you know folks have all these feelings or emotions and they don't really know how to make heads or tails of them they're like wow you know life seems fine but somehow i'm still really anxious all the time or really depressed all the time mm-hmm. if i put everything on paper seems okay but for whatever reason the way that i feel it's not lining up with you know the way the world it seems to be or it's mm-hmm. presenting itself to me and then finally it's like big existential questions like, who am I? Who? What do I want to do with my life? Just feeling lost or disoriented. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to try to like give some bullet points of the things that come in the most often, those are typically it. Yeah. So there, there's two I really want to want to hit on. Uh, the first okay. one is relationships, right? And something that's... Uh, oh, we, we all need help there, bro. We all need <laughs> help there. Goodness. Yeah. Do you do Zoom counseling? <laughs> I don't have to be you there. Do, you probably, he did oh, the, no. uh, during 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 COVID. He did it all through Zoom, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, we were dropped into a hundred percent telehealth. Uh, so now I do a hybrid model where I can see folks in person or via Zoom. Yeah, um, I, I wasn't thinking for me and my wife. I was thinking for me and mom. Right. Right. So. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can get uh, you guys on. Just... I I got plenty of bromances <laughs> that come on and, and need a look. Yeah. Uh, work on our relationship a little bit though. <laughs> Chemistry, but, I, yeah. when, when we disagree on a podcast and we're yelling at each other, yeah, we definitely. Oh yeah, that. I, I was able to listen to uh, a, a few of your episodes. I, you guys cover some spicy topics, so that we do. Yeah. And and this is this is one of those uh, topics that we hear a lot, which is uh, toxic masculinity. Right, that term is is thrown around uh, constantly, but I think it's. Uh, something from a psychology angle, um, mm. you know, it, what do you see going on when it's, it comes to toxic masculinity in our society right now? Sure. You just give someone a high five. No, I think I actually, when I was talking, blew a small bubble. Oh. <laughs> that came out of my <laughs> mouth. So I went to spot away because I didn't know what it was. Boy. Sorry about that. Trying to trying to trying to swat away toxic. I swear I did I didn't see what yeah. it was, but it was like a little bubble that yeah. came out of my mouth. Guys, toxic sorry. masculinity toxic almost got masculinity. him. He had to swat it. He swatted it away. He <laughs> away. I I, yeah. I I saw the comments coming in as we, I said that word. I was yeah. just kind of mm-hmm. All, mm-hmm. all the Andrew Tate lovers coming after you. You just swatted. Yeah, away. I know, right? <laughs> Boy. Oh uh, man. I, you know, and I think the term that uh, toxic masculinity, it 
it became a buzzword so fast. And like in the, you know, age of memes, the second something becomes an, uh, you know, an issue, like two or three weeks later, we've already made it a meme, right? And so a lot of folks kind of invoke this idea of toxic masculinity and, you know, have a difficult time taking it seriously, or they just kind of like write it off as sort of woke nonsense. And it's true that, you know, many of the ideas behind toxic masculinity did come out of like a feminist, you know, theory, a feminist philosophy or framework, right? And so, may, I don't know, maybe it makes sense to like kind of define what the heck I'm talking about. That that was, yeah, well, 100%. that was going to be my, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the definition. That was my next question, to be fair. Yeah. Of yeah. toxic masculinity, I think isn't, is the main issue here, right? Because my definition of toxic masculinity may be different from Monty's and it may be different sure. from yours. So let's start there. What do you, what do you, uh, how would you define toxic masculinity? Yeah, I, I'm actually curious, mostly because I don't want to monopolize too much of the you know chatting, but I'm kind of curious when that word comes up, like what, what does that mean for, for both of y'all? Well, I mean, we talk all the time on on this podcast, so we we want you to dominate the conversation because you're Absolutely. the in the situation. But but obviously, like you know, we joked on text, and I mentioned earlier, like when I think of talks immaculately, I literally think of the Andrew Tate thing. You, you hear yeah. him, you know, talk, you know, how he um, talks about women and you know how he berates mm -hmm. them. He talks about you know the money, the flashy cars, and what a man needs mm -hmm. to do. Um, and obviously, you, I mean, you see like he's selling a, a course, a class on how to be you know the, that that masculine man, right? But uh, obviously, like you look at position that myself and Ruben in, you know, and you know we we are raising families, we have wives, and obviously mm -hmm. that's you know, how we perceive a man should be isn't the same how he perceives a man should be. Um, and mm -hmm. so obviously, you know, people who go down that path, um, to me is toxic, right? Because, because that's sure. not like a, the true values of what a man should have. So that's, right. that's kind of where I see it. Yeah, hmm. I, I agree with you 100%. I think um, uh, it becomes toxic when you are physical with women or treat them mm -hmm. like an object. Right? Sure. Um I mean, I, I think Monty hit it on the head. I, I think uh, Andrew Tate is a great example of somebody who can make good points, right? There's some points that he makes that that are correct, but the points that they make that he makes, he he uses that to finalize something that is wrong, right? Sure. So he can make a good point, but he uses that point and takes it way, way too far. Right. Um, so that, that's what I would say. Somebody who, who treats women physically or treats them sure. like an object or uh, takes, you know, overly ownership of women is is toxic to me. So or or thinks that women are uh, less or men are superior. Yeah. I don't know if you heard this one, Julian, but we had a talk over masculinity and like and like mm -hmm. we have our own definitions about like being the head of the household or taking care of your family, you know, being a right. good husband, you know, these things, you know, that, like, you know, if if 9-11 happened again, like, who are the people who are going to stand up, you know, and help, you know, America get back on its feet. Right. That that yeah. kind of thing. Right. And so like we there's a definition there that, you know, there is a, a definition of masculinity, but there obviously there's a point where it does become or can become toxic. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, you know, invoking 
the name of Andrew Tate. He is kind of like the villain or poster boy of, of toxic masculinity. And and yet, you know, there's tons of people who follow him and his content exactly because he takes it to that toxic and outrageous place. And, you know, it, it's almost like you can have like a little, you know, shred or nugget of wisdom, you know, buried in this, you know, mound of, of, of coal in a way. And, you know, folks will find that nugget and, and, and run with it. Um, and then you also mentioned things like abuse, like beginning becoming physical with folks, objectifying them. And so like, these are probably some things that we, we can use as a foundation in terms of describing what toxic masculinity is. And I kind of, I kind of like the word toxic because it defines like, the toxicity is based off of the dose, right? So it's not that, you know, there's something that's inherently wrong or bad about masculinity in and of itself, but that we realize that if you took anything to a certain dose or to a certain extreme, if you drink enough water, you, you it would be toxic, yeah. right? And so when a lot of folks are talking about toxic masculinity as, as Monty proceeds to hydrate, <laughs> as we all should, um, we're talking about circumstances <laughs> where expressions of masculinity are taken to a certain extreme that they end up harming you know the person who is you know expressing masculinity is is that kind of a, a decent that, enough baseline that actually well, makes a ton of sense right you can take something that is supposed to be good and overdo it right which in turn makes it toxic right yeah, that's a great Absolutely. example. I, I think that's a phenomenal way of looking at it. Yeah, well, what's your definition of harming, though, right? I mean, is it like a mental, mental psych, like psychological? Is it physical? Sure. Is it a combination of both? Does like, does it matter? You know, so I mean, what's 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 harm? What's harmful? I, I think that's a great question, and that's a good follow up because I know. <laughs> wow, it's almost like you have, you have a podcast and you can interview people. <laughs> Wrote this so, down. What are you talking about? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So th that is kind of where um, a number of people can kind of draw straws in terms of how they define harm. And so I'll give an, an example of toxic masculinity that isn't as obvious, right? So if I were just to think of like a bunch of different, you know, masculine stereotypes, uh, you know, being strong, being tough, you know, being able to, you know, push through adversity being able to tolerate a certain amount of pain, right? These are all things that uh, I think if we were going to be stereotypical men and, you know, to overlap with some other topics on the podcast, especially athletes, right, are sort of like told to do. Like if you have a pain, you just kind of like throw down as many ibuprofen as you need to keep playing. You wrap it up and like you get back in the game, right? And so what happens, maybe I'll use, you know, athletes first, and then we can extrapolate a broader than that, is that folks listen to that voice in their head that says, in order to be a man, I need to be strong, I need to be tough, I need to be able to, you know, fight through adversity. And what happens is that folks end up burning out, or they end up getting injured or hurt, right, which could have been avoidable if instead of listening to the voice in their head saying, oh, I have to be manly, I have to be masculine, I have to be strong, I need to push through this. They said, huh, maybe this is actually the time that I cool my jets and, and sit back, right? And what that looks like on a, on a broad spectrum is like, you know, I, to use your example, Monty, or to branch off of it, it's like men are supposed to be the like providers of the household, right? That's a, that's a stereotype that's often invoked in masculinity. And 
at the same time, there's plenty of people, you know, working themselves to the bone, like doing things that they don't like, that they hate, because they feel like if I'm not working a job, if I'm not bringing in, you know, more money than my wife, if I'm not providing, then I'm not of a, a person of worth. And so you'll see people who are really burnt out, depressed, anxious about their work, about their job, uh, because they've prioritized, say, this idea in their mind of being a provider over like being a holistic person. And so I, I could rattle off a number of different examples, but it's like, huh, in the long term, is it like more harmful for people to try to chase these masculine ideals or to like try to be who they are authentically? Right. And to be fair, I've asked my wife a number of times to be a stay-at-home dad and she will not let me. So um, <laughs> I would absolutely love to be a stay-at-home dad. Oh my I gosh. I would right. I would crush it, bro. Seriously. I would crush it. Seriously. No, that that would be up. so That's, much fun. Right. Well now I, you can have the option to work from home and so you can kind of double dip. You can have a cake and eat it too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean a hybrid I, system, right? The the hybrid system, which has came yeah. into effect last uh, couple of years, and and I I don't think um, being ahead of the household is necessarily something that makes you a man uh, by any means. If the uh, you know if the situation uh, plays out that way, good good job, right? Uh, but I don't think that defines you of being manly or anything like that. I I think it comes down to more of you know standing up for for what you feel is right right mm -hmm. uh taking on uh burdens uh in your household and in your marriage uh for the sake of your wife right not to damage your wife right i i think those are are uh manly things that isn't toxic but it's being a man right um fighting battles for your family that uh you know you i i don't know as a man you know there's a ton of things that I know my wife could do, right? My, I, I mean, my wife is is amazing. She could do all mm. sorts of different things. Uh, mm -hmm. But as a man, I don't want her to have to do those things. Like, mm. I would rather take on that burden than watch yeah. her go through that burden. Yeah, right? I don't want to and, put you on the spot, but could you give me an example of, like, something where you would prefer to, you know, step in and fill a specific role that even yeah, though you, I, you know your wife is probably perfectly capable, uh, money, uh, money management, hmm. managing the money, right? My wife could, I mean, she was an executive for State Farm. My wife can do that, but yeah. when it comes to to having, you know, I have a son with special needs. We have medical bills and we have uh, insurance stuff. We have, you know, kids yeah. in private school. Money gets tight. There's a ton of stress. Right. There's a, a, a lot of things going on there that I would rather take on than have my wife take on that stress. Right. right? That's a role she, that varies from family to family, though. That's not. Yeah, like, absolutely. Not, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like I said, she is highly capable and would would be just fine. I would just rather take on that that stress and that burden than watch my mm -hmm. wife take on that stress and that burden. Right. Sure, because right. I, I know how much stress it is. And on right. top of being a stay-at-home mom, right, and taking care of a son with special needs, I don't think it, I think as a man, it's my responsibility to take that on and not have her have to deal with just everything, right? Sure, sure. So that would be yeah. one example. 
Right. And, and I, I want to emphasize that like one way that I might interpret that is like that is one way that you could potentially express masculinity, right? Yeah. That it's not to say that men should be the people who are, you know, the accountants of the household and, you know, that period, you know, end of statement, but rather that in this situation, the way that you choose to express masculinity is through like finances and, and being yeah. a person who's taking charge in that situation. Um, and I think what, what makes it more difficult and nuanced is recognizing that, yeah, to your point, you know, it, it's likely that your wife could probably do exactly the same tasks, yeah. right? As, as well, if, you know, if not better in some cases. And it, the part that we scratch our head about is like, okay, at what point are, you know, certain tasks or traits or things masculine or manly? And at what point are they just like things people do? Like, it, you know, if there's no difference between me doing it and my wife do it, why, why not draw the line between masculine and feminine, right? In terms of, right. you know, what, what that means, because, you know, I can probably say for all three of us that our wives are are taking hits and making sacrifices and doing things and bearing burdens for, you know, our families respectively. And that like, if, if that's how we design masculine, then are they being masculine in that way? Or like, how do we, how, where, where do we draw a line between these dichotomies? Well, what there's something I, I would say is, is I think it's, uh, I, the unmanly term, like, mm. you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but do you think that, you know, if I, if I did put that burden on my wife and I sit by and let my, my wife, you know, be constantly stressed about, you know, the kids and the finances and this and mm. that, right. Mm -hmm. Then, then what am I, right. I'm just so like, watching think, my so wife just, you know, yeah, stress sure. the hell out constantly, <laughs> right? Deal with the kids, deal with the bills, deal with all this crap. Like, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I would consider but, stepping up and, and taking on that that burden as a as a manly, you know, thing to do. I guess. Monty, were you gonna say something? Oh no, no, no! I, I was gonna say just to room his point. You know, like obviously with the stress, and like I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, right? That comes with the stress, and that comes, you know, the depression, the anxiety, all that right. stuff that starts to like tumble and snowball, right? And it becomes like a bigger thing, you know, where you might need. And 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 you're right. It doesn't have to have to have a definition of masculine or feminine, or whatever. It's just a, the family dichotomy, right? Of like, hey, let me help you, and that to takes some something off your plate, you know. So you're in a better mood, so you're happy, you know, and mm -hmm. so the, and, and I can do it, you know. So, um, I definitely, I definitely, I see that going both ways. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'm thinking about in terms of like the stress, just the load of of living and, you know, living within a partnership, within a marriage, is that, like, there are some egalitarian lines that that folks can draw, right? It's not like I don't do the dishes and the laundry because I'm a man and those aren't things that I do. It's like, if my my wife, she works, you know, in as an art director at an ad agency, and they kind of work in bursts, right? So they get a, a job, and then she'll be really busy for three or four days, and like over those three or four days periods, like I'll pick up the slack more. I will, you know, step in and, and do some of the, you know, chores yeah. around the house that typically I don't do. Right. 
and vice versa, right? There's times where things are slow for her and she'll pick up more of the slack, right? And so it's way more dynamic than to say that people fall into very specific roles. And I think that where people, you know, get in trouble is when they put, you know, you know, trying to live up to a certain ideal or standard or like fall into a specific role over, you know, just, you know, living with the authentic dynamic of a relationship that it can become toxic. Why do you why do you think the the term toxic masculinity gets thrown around so much? Because I mean, it's used to describe you know things that aren't even like in the same realm of being a toxic masculinity. Why do you think it's become this buzzword, this thing that that people can just? I mean, I heard I heard you know somebody uh, the other day. You know, there's been some some controversy with Bud Light, and they use the phrase anybody that that said, Hey, I'm not going to buy Bud Light. Um, they said that's toxic masculinity to not buy mm. Bud Light. What, I mean, do you know, do you have any answer on why you, why that term is being just thrown around in scenarios like that? Like, I don't think there's any, even any, any, uh, you, that, that term shouldn't even be in that conversation, in my opinion. Sure. Sure. It, I I think that it is again trying to define in rigid terms what like men can or can't do or should or shouldn't do based off of like a certain societal standard so i'll actually zoom out a little bit if you don't mind uh and like look at some you know bigger statistics and we know that like if we just look at you know morbidity and mortality so like when folks typically die on average like men have a shorter lifespan than women and we, we scratch mm -hmm. our head around that because like when there's gaps like that, when things are unequal, we ask ourselves like, well, why is that the case, right? And there's probably a lot of different explanations that you can come up with, but a number of that invo involves this expectation that like, like most construction workers are are men, like sure. most most individuals doing you know high stress, high risk jobs are are men, and part of that is a societal. Yeah, military or, or men, right? And some of that is a societal standard, which says that like men should be the ones putting themselves in harm's way. And if we like looked at what that, you know, you know, proceeds in the in the precipitates in the data, excuse me, over time, is that like when we tell men to put themselves in harm's way, harm's way more often, they do, and then they end up dying sooner. <laughs> And, you know, that's not funny, but it's to say like, oh, well, if there is a gap in, you know, a health disparity that doesn't, you know, favor men, then then that's both in mental and physical health, then how do we address that? And then maybe that's by saying, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be saying that men are the ones which should be on the front lines of a number of these things exclusively, or at the very least not making the expectation that men's roles are to be the, you know, the, the ones that sacrifice themselves for society, at, at least if we're trying to have folks live happier and healthier lives. Sure. Uh, so we're getting the, hold on, the, hold on, the, yeah. uh, hold hold on. on. Uh, I got, okay, hold go on. ahead, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, go yeah, ahead. Real quick, because kind of off topic, but obviously like with sure. like the feminine, feminism movement and like right. the women saying we're, we're equal to men, we can do what men do, blah, 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 blah. Do you see mm -hmm. that gap, that, that gap uh, decreasing or getting closer together as far as like, you know, the, the death rate? I would like to say that that is the case. I don't know that it is. Okay. Yeah. Right. I so, think that's that's the idea of, of 
you know, feminism in some ways is trying to make things more equal across the board. And also since no one, since there's not a whole lot of prominent voices that are advocating for men and men's rights and men's health, uh, at least in a way that is as uniformed and and formalized as, you know, feminism is that it, it seems as though some men have been, you know, sold short in that way. Well, when you see like, you know, they're like, oh, I can be a construction worker. Oh, I can go into the military. Right. So now they're taking on the same risks as, you know, you know, society would push onto a man. Correct. Right. So in theory, in theory, you know, if they're taking these same risks that used to be, uh, you know, a men's role in society, then you would you would think that 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 age gap of, you know, how long a male or female lives would get closer. Sure. I mean, you would think that I mean, and, and the reality is that, you know, most of the, the higher risk jobs are still in, in that way done by men. Right. right. Or men are just dumber. Like they just have knee surgery and they try to play 18 rounds of golf. I mean, it, I mean, it happens. <laughs> well, I, right, I won't disagree with you that, that men are stupider. <laughs> than <laughs> we do a lot dumber stuff, but I, I think we're getting into uh, a territory of um, do. I mean, when you say that, when you say that, uh, you know, yes, yes, women can be firefighters. Yes, women can be cops. Yes, w- women can be soldiers. Yes, all, all these different things. But you're now getting in a territory where, you know, like w- when you say that, my first mm-hmm. reaction is um, I, I don't want more women dying. Like, like yeah. I, I, I feel like it's 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 almost, you know. Uh, and now we're getting to the meat of the conversation. Unmasculine to mm. to let uh, a woman fight in a, 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 a traditionally a man's role, so to protect a woman. See, my instinct is always sure. to protect, right? Like it, it's. I think it's in our DNA to protect people and to protect women. We talk about protecting children all the mm-hmm. time. Right. And I think that's part of our our code, part of our DNA as men is we are protectors. Right. So it's not that it's not that women can't do the same jobs. Right. I I, I think women are are if they're capable of doing it, then go and do it. I, I see nothing wrong with that. Um mm. but I I feel like if if a man, if you have a man and a woman that are both able to do the same jobs, but one's going to lose their life, right? I believe that the man should step up to lose sure. his lose his life to protect the woman, right? Right. That's that's just I I don't know. Like I said, maybe it's just in my DNA that that's the way I see things. Um, right. But I don't think women should have to do those things if right. it's not necessary. Sure. I mean, and that's like a fair point, right? Because then you you get down into this like sticky territory where you're like, huh, if I had to choose between two human lives, yeah. philosophically speaking, and like one was a man and one was a woman, which one would I want to live? Right. And, you know, going all the way back to the, the Titanic movie and maybe before that, it's women and children get on the safety boats first. Yeah. Right. And also it's that exact sort of idea, that ethos, which creates the gap between men and women in terms of mortality, in terms of health, in terms of mental well, health. Well, do you think that the their ability to bear children, that I mean, because that's it for me, right? I don't have the ability right. to bear children, right? If I die, 
you know, it, it's if my wife stays, she can still, you know, have children with other, you know, another man and, and have children and grow. Right. Uh, so I, I think for me, that's one of the things, right. Is, is I can't, sure. I can't bear children. If I die, you know, so what, if, if a woman dies, that's one more person that, you know, is off this earth that can't have children and keep the world going. If that makes sense. Sure. I mean, yeah. uh, does that have anything to do with it or am I just, you know, uh, just kind of, is that a mute point or is that actually a point to be made in this conversation? I, I don't know if Monty was going to chime in. I, I mean, I, I do have more to say. I, I, I was going to chime in because like we talk about that regard as like, oh, you know, I would rather, you know, the man step in and if, if someone were to die, you know, and like we talk about this with race all the time. I was like, I would want the most qualified person to have that job male or female right and if i more, agree with the most that qualified 100%. person the most qualified person has a lower risk of dying because they're more qualified to do that job so like yeah if there's a a woman that's more qualified to do a quote-unquote man's job then so be it and, and vice versa if the man is the qualified person to do it then he, then he should do it i i agree i want to make that very clear i agree with that same point mm-hmm. like i i, I 100 uh agree with that but the scenario I'm I'm uh, speaking about isn't a scenario of who does the best job, right? If you mm. like, if you say uh, who's going to do the best job in powerlifting, right? It's obviously going to be the person that holds the world records in powerlifting, which is which is a man. I'm saying, in general, if mm. you you know, there's no qualifications here. I feel like it's a smarter and a more noble thing to to give yourself up so a woman you know doesn't have to die or, or whatever uh but i also don't think that's a bad thing i don't think that's bad for society for men to want to protect women right is that a bad thing i mean i don't think it is yeah, yeah I, and i agree with you i don't think that it is either i also don't think it's a bad thing versus in society for women to want to protect men right so it's not like it's a male yep. or man yep. only thing what I can say is that a lot of these conversations end up going down that rabbit hole, right, of describing these circumstances where, you know, if, you know, given option A and option B, we, we choose one or the other, and you and I can debate whether, or like, okay, well, maybe biologically speaking, we can make an argument that, like, maybe women have more uh, biological value than men in terms of their ability yeah. to, like, procreate. there you go. Right? Yeah. But I also think that's putting both of us in a, in a, in a corner that we don't need to be in. Right. Because maybe we should both be saying, okay, maybe if men and women are both equally, you know, valuable, they have some essential dignity, right, as as human beings. And what we should be focusing on is like not how to like put more women in danger or, you know, or whatever to make things equal, but like, okay, like how do we make these and work environments safer for everyone? Right. How Mm -hmm. do we make it so that, you know, things like construction sites aren't dangerous right because you know they're using a lot of these heavy machinery it's not like oh men do construction because men carry big things like no the, the big things are being carried by machines <laughs> and the, the things that actually put them into place and anyone can use those machines right so it's, it's saying okay we're looking at the the equation from the perspective that only the people in in the cir- circumstance can be changed and i'm saying why don't we change the circumstance why don't we put people in situations where neither men or women have to be in danger, 
right? And mm -hmm. you can see that a lot of the innovations that, that folks are making are trying to do that. They're trying to even the playing field by making environments safe, inclusive, amenable to folks, no matter your gender or sex. Well, I, I think it's also just a, I mean, uh, I, I feel like men buy, like in their, uh, are, are more prone to do hard labor, right? And I mean, I, there's been multiple studies that show that men are more, uh, lean more towards that, where women are, are more towards caring, like nurse. There's a reason that most nurses are, are women. It's not because men can't be nurses. It's just women, you know, sure. like that field more, uh, more that more than men. Um, but I, I've got a couple, I've got a couple more questions yeah. for you. Uh, the first one is, give me your overall stance on Andrew Tate. I am probably honestly not qualified to give you an overall. Oh, stop. Stance. Did you have the qualifications? I, I mean, I, I, I mean I, I'm going to go back to the, but I, uh, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of folks whose, you know, whose celebrity, whose name becomes this brand, becomes this idea that is like inflated above and beyond like the quality of the person themselves. And the very idea of Andrew Tate has become this caricature of, as you described, toxic masculinity that, it, sure. I mean, if you watch a YouTube video of him, you wouldn't be able to tell whether that's what this man actually believes or whether he's just playing a role because a lot of money showing up at his door every time he says an outlandish well said, thing. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, there are probably some people that we can put in the bin as being either good or bad or, you know, somewhere in between. And also I think that society as a whole has like occasionally accidentally sensationalizes these kinds of, of people because, uh, because of the, you know, the celebrity behind it, because yeah, we want to see what this, you know, outlandish person is going to say or do next or what kind of trouble they're going to get into. And mm -hmm. so I don't think, um, you know, I don't give too much credence to, to anything that Andrew Tate says, because other than I think MMA, I don't know that he has any, you know, particular, you know, expertise or sure. ground to stand on in terms of, you know, having any validity behind his statements. Um, that being said, you know, we've made celebrities out of a lot of people who don't have any qualifications. People follow sure. the Kardashians and, uh, yeah. you know, they make, they have their, you know, pet favorite celebrity that they follow around, you know, for, for no reason other than yeah. the, the sensation behind it. And I think that Andrew. Right. Well, you mm -hmm. think he created his own validity, right? Saying like, look, look at me, this is what I do. And I have women, I have cars, I have millions of dollars. Right. So if you want to get what I have, you need to act like me. And so he kind of validated himself. And then the people who follow him provided made validation for him. Right. Because now, you know, you know, he has a, a, a school or university of how to be like Andrew Tate. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's all people that, that, that are like little, like I said, mini Tates run around, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. try, trying to be like him. And obviously like, um, I don't think they could mount the success because I think he makes his money in other ways, <laughs> but, um, right that 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 idea that i can get this if i act like that right um i i think that's where he come gets his validation from um it's from those it's from the followers right and, and from what he has been able to accumulate yeah and and i think i like i said i think he has what like you were saying right he may have just any bit of of a nugget that resonates with you know 
the majority of men, but then the 99% is, is, you know, way off. Right. Yeah. So uh, they don't get the full spectrum of where he comes from. They just hear that one, one thing that, you know, is maybe uh, good for, for the majority of men. Uh, but right. then again, he's got the 99 to other percent. That's, you know, not good for men. Um, yeah. So the, the other thing is I wanted to get your take on, uh, one of the leading male, you know, psychologists in the world, Jordan Peterson. Uh, where do you stand with Jordan Peterson? Like his work, dislike his work? What do you think? Um, I, I want to make sure I put a pin in something that Monty said that I want to come back to because I think he made a good point. Uh, in terms of Jordan Peterson, I am so on the fence about Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I actually have a lot of like my own ambivalence or cognitive dissonance about Jordan Peterson because a lot of you can you can tell that a lot of this stuff is pretty you know well read in terms of the, the background that he's coming from. Um, he's like a relatively intelligent guy. I don't know that there's a lot of things that I've heard that I was that would make me think that he, you know doesn't have the expertise right and in terms of being as a, a psychologist um i think that jordan peterson gets in a lot of trouble when he like steps outside of his lane a bit when he goes outside of the realm of psychology and like all the, the you know poetic symbolism stuff and like starts making uh statements about things that are a little bit you know outside of his lane i think he gets into a lot of trouble there and i think it's easy mm -hmm. to like you know you know pin him on issues when he he, he kind of goes out of his lane there um, I haven't been as impressed with a lot of his most recent stuff. Um, and also I, I, I can't knock that, you know, for a, a lot of his material, the surface level stuff, at least like it is like pretty encouraging for, for men to hear. And so if I was like to choose like between Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson for someone who's like, you can't put them in the same category. Yeah, I mean, right. well, I think that you can in, in the sense that. The, okay, I'll, I get what you're stepping. Okay, right. That yeah. if I let's look at both of their fan base, the people who follow sure. them, right? And this is coming back to Monty's point, which is which is a good one: is that Andrew Kate didn't get his power simply, or you know, his influence or his charisma just from you know having any of these accolades or achievements. He got them from just like amassing enough people to follow him and and buy mm -hmm. into that. And it's like, how do we find ourselves in a position where enough people are willing to you know, follow someone who is like mostly inflammatory, like occasionally tolerable. Like, how do we get into that sort of situation? And what we find is that it really comes back to the same topic we had started. It kind of comes all the way back around to men's health. That if I'm a, a man and I'm feeling lost, I don't have good questions or answers to these questions. Like, who am I or what am, what am I doing with life? If I'm, if I'm feeling lonely in particular if if COVID didn't treat me well and i've been isolated and all the things that were promised me i feel like I'm, I'm not living up to i'm not getting i want to start looking for answers right because that's step one before people seek help they look for the answers on themselves and maybe i stumble across a youtube video right of other men speaking to men's issues right and one person happens to stumble across Andrew Tate first, and the other happens to stumble across Jordan Peterson first. And so that's where I think that they overlap is because they have the same sure. sort of 
pipeline of people that's kind of leading to them. And if I were to sort of choose which pipeline I would rather folks fall into, I think I'd choose Jordan Peterson over Andrew Tate 99 out of 100 times. Yeah. Um, Thank but, God you know. said that. I know. <laughs> that was a good build up for, for that question. Because like, I, you know, I, I follow Jordan Peterson. I've read his books, right? And yeah. I think they're, they have two, you know, fundamental uh, differences. Like you said, uh, Jordan Peterson is a well-known uh, clinical psychologist. Andrew Tate's just a dude, right? Uh, who, who's got money and, and all these different things. Yeah, I think he's he uh, bought a few times or something. Yeah. So something, something like that. I think they come from two, two completely different uh, spectrums, right? Uh, where Jordan Peterson, like I said, is a well-known psychologist, knows the, the uh, clinical studies and, and the history and different things like that. Andrew Tate is just, you know, I, I think with a lot of the, you know, trans movement and a lot of the feminine uh, men stuff going on, um, mm. you know, he is the polar opposite, right? Mm. And when you have something that is way over here, you're going to gain a lot of support that's way over here, right? Right. They, um, the pendulum swings. You're exactly right. Where I think Jordan comes from a place of, of uh, science and clinical studies and different things mm. like that. So I think that's the the main fundamental uh, difference uh, between those two. And, you know, like I said, I, I've read Jordan Peterson's work, right? It, it helps me actually, um, the 12 rules of life actually helps sure. me, you know, like, like I touched on earlier, you know, I have a son with, with special needs. I, I went through a right. very traumatic part of my life two and a half years ago. Um, mm. And that some of the things that he said in that book actually helped me with my anxiety and my stress and different sure. things like that, where that was actually, you know, a medical solution to my anxiety. The, the yeah. you know, I had a, I had a full on panic attack at the hospital when my son sure. was, it was in the hospital. Like, dude, I, I'm paid to not have anxiety, right? I'm, I'm paid to be yeah. in a boardroom, you know, uh, of a multi-billion dollar company talking about different things and to be right. calm, cool, and collected. Right. Mm -hmm. Having an anxiety attack is not something that was even on my freaking radar. Right? right. I didn't even know what anxiety was. Right. And yeah. then I literally get sent to the ER while my son is having open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. Right. This was an issue. And that's why that's why I I have a, a little bit of a, you know, pull towards him because he helped me out sure. during these times. But yeah. I get it 100 percent what you're saying coming from polar opposites. But they're all it's all in the same lane of right. men, right? That are searching, looking for searching, 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 searching yeah. for answers. Yeah. Uh, you're exactly right. Yeah. Exactly and, right. And I, I will give you the biggest difference between like this caricature of Andrew Tate and this caricature of Jordan Peterson, right? Because I'm sure they're both complex people in their own right. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. It, it depends. The biggest difference between Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate is actually a little counterintuitive, but it falls so well into this narrative of like toxic masculinity and things that we've been talking about is that Jordan Peterson, well, he, I mean, he's a little bit of an anomaly in, or in terms of like the vast majority of psychologists or of individuals in the mental health field are women actually as of right I now. And that wasn't that. always the case. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's like four to one or five to one. Right, gotcha. women to men, right? Um, and so I don't know if that's the case for psychologists, but mental health field, I'm counting social workers, I'm counting folks who have sure. their masters and counseling, like that. Yeah. 
And so is that Jordan Peterson will occasionally demonstrate vulnerability is that you you will you know hear some things that he says or listen to some of his lectures and and this man will be on the verge of tears sometimes actually in tears right passionate you get this idea I've that he cares yeah he, he connects with with the audience in that way with emotion with vulnerability and andrew tate is never vulnerable He's mm-hmm. never a real person. He's, he never brings that element of humanity that you can connect with. So you you hold him up on this pedestal. But every once in a while, like Jordan Peterson will have these expressions of humanity in the forms of vulnerability that reaches out and that connects with a person. Oh, in this moment, we're both humans because I guess this Jordan Peterson guy cares enough to to be really upset about this mm-hmm. thing. And now I'm kind of upset about it too. And And that comes from a place of compassion. Interestingly enough, if we're just playing by the rule book of masculinity alone, vulnerability might be easily construed as weakness, right? And so he's actually not being toxically masculine in this moment, breaking it's, down. It's being not vulnerable. a masculine trait. Right, exactly, right? He's demonstrating a, something that some, and from a, mas- a toxically masculine frame, might demonstrate, might say is weakness, right? And so... If there's anything to learn, it's that, oh, interesting. It, the ways that Jordan Peterson connects the most with people is those times where he steps outside of what it means to be typically masculine and demonstrates some emotion, demonstrates some passion. It seems as though he's like he genuinely cares about you. And that's like an interesting lesson for like all of us to learn potentially as men that hmm, maybe there are times where I should be vulnerable with my kids, with my wife, with my friends with my community i should show up and say yeah this really you know hurt me or impacted me or i saw this thing and gosh it it really got under my skin and choked me up and then others will say oh wow you know julian usually doesn't cry but right now he seems upset enough i should take this seriously i should be there for him Mm -hmm. this should be an opportunity for us to connect on a human level so that's one way that i i might be able to say what is the biggest distinction between those two different you know, figureheads in the masculine space that one is actually able to step outside of the masculine frame and be vulnerable in a way which is typically isn't, you know, stereotypical crying in front of of people giving a lecture to. And the other maintains that caricature in a toxic way throughout, you know, the entirety of of his performance. Uh, I think that is a phenomenal point. And as Monty yeah, knows, I've, I've, I've cried on this podcast already like three times. So I don't think <laughs> I'm not saying you have to cry. <laughs> but no, just anyway. yes. You get him talking uh, about the birth of his son. He'll cry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. And I don't think it's a an unmanly thing to show emotion, sure. right? Uh, but you don't. But stereotypically speaking, sure, there's, there's been plenty of messages to say that boys don't cry. Yeah, I, I yeah, think that's you know, that. That's when that crosses the line. Like you said, it's an overdose. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I'm I'm with you. There's there's one more question I, I, I want to get to here. Yeah. Uh, that's a little off topic here. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I want to talk about addiction. Do you deal sure. with any uh addiction counseling? Ah, uh, so I don't do addiction counseling um asterisks. I definitely work with plenty of folks who have mental health issues and also have some substance use issues. The way that our system's set up is that uh, addiction by itself 
is kind of termed as a medical health issue. And so, you know, insurance will not cover it if you gotcha. just, if they just come in with, a, you know, an alcoholism or, you know, some sort of substance use disorder. So we say, yeah, they have anxiety, depression, and also, you know, we're treating these other things. <laughs> so it's yeah, one, so, one way to. So um, there's been a ton of studies. Yeah, Go ahead, Monty. No, I, I was just going to joke. I, I was like, you need those insurance codes. So you can get paid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Dude, yeah. So it's um, its own game. It really is. It really is. And and we'll have to we'll have to bring that up uh, in another podcast because I've got sure. a ton of stuff to say about insurance. Considering <laughs> I have a two million dollar baby asleep downstairs. <laughs> so uh, I've done so the good that right there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, con concerning addiction. Um, you know, I've really started to open up about psychedelics when it comes to addiction. Mm. And I just kind of wanted to get your take. Have you read any studies? Uh, do you have any opinions um, on the new research that is going on with, um, you know, psychedelics uh, helping people that are addicted to drugs get over that hump? Yes, actually, I, I have seen a, a good amount of that. Part of that is inspired by being in Colorado, which is a state that is a little bit more liberal about a number of, of you know, the kinds of substances that are legal. Um, so some of the ones that I've seen the most evidence for, one of which was I've never really banned, but is um, still, you know, heavily controlled is ketamine. I've also seen two others, which uh, the first is psilocybin, so mushrooms, which is like a psychedelic that people talk about a lot. And um, the other is MDMA, uh, which is like the active ingredient in a drug called um, ecstasy or molly, right? I guess mm. it was pretty big in the 80s. And what they've looked at is, you know, in controlled trials, through, you know, places like John Hopkins. So, there, you know, there aren't people doing this right now, but, you know, they've been doing a series of trials. Um, they've been looking at everything from trauma to addiction and a number of, of other situations where we can think of like addiction as like the, the gradual narrowing of things which like bring you joy or satisfaction to the degree where only like a single, you know, substance or experience, you know, makes one feel alive and like all of your biological imperatives are lined up with getting that one thing. So when a person has a strong craving for a drug, suddenly it all of the things which are, you know, typically wouldn't make sense, like crime and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hurting others to get what you want, become they, they become viable options, right? They make mm -hmm. sense in that moment, and then the person uses and have this crash of guilt because, oh my gosh, what what came over me? What they found with some of these substances is it seems like it's able to break up these really rigid patterns in a person's mind uh, enough so that now they can in, instead of all of their attention being focused around a, a spe specific experience or substance, suddenly they can start exploring other options again mentally. And some folks have seen relatively like quick uh, reductions in things like addiction. And in the case of addiction, sometimes without relapse. So um, this isn't something that people are doing right now. There's like probably not any protocols for it to become public. And if it was, I'm sure that it would be very heavily controlled. Um, but, you know, some of the, you know, initial studies are looking promising. That's good. I, that's really good to hear because, I mean, uh, 
uh, addiction is the only thing that you can't treat with drugs, right? You can't treat addiction with drugs. So I think we've had a major issue with, uh, you know, helping with addiction, right? And I see of the studies that I've done, I see psychedelics, you know, actually helping with addiction. Uh, I come from a spiritual, uh, a spiritual viewpoint on that, right? There's a ton of spiritual encounters that happen uh, with, you know, psychedelics that necessarily wouldn't happen with uh, people that are addicted to drugs, right? But you get them in that type of realm, uh, they can have a spiritual encounter, right? The problem is, is when you get into that realm as a Christian, right? It's uh, met with all sorts of, you know, uh, is it Christian, right? Is this, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? You're met with a lot of of negative uh, connotations that come with this, but Mm-hmm. overall right i i think it's something that we need to investigate when it comes to uh addiction ad, uh, addiction issues but it sounds like you've done the research you're on the side of of you know seeing more studies done and different things like that right yeah i i mean i've seen you know um we can look up like maps protocols or you can easily look up a number of papers from john hopkins and other places that have been you know given license to in controlled settings it, use some of these things and it's kind of like um you know like marijuana right that there's of course recreational uses and there's legal uses uh, but then folks can sort of isolate out certain medicinal you know properties of it so like cbd which doesn't have any like psychoactive effects typically, but like can be helpful for things like chronic pain. And so it's likely that, you know, we're not going to have folks eating mushrooms in therapy rooms or, you know, you taking, you know, um, you know, all these crystals in a, in a way that this is unregulated. It's likely that folks are going to be synthesizing out the active ingredient and in a way that's actually probably a little bit more natural than a number of the phar- pharmaceutical drugs that already I agree with there. you. Um, absolutely. So, absolutely. So uh, I can imagine that in the next, you know, five, 10 years, because there's a whole lot of red tape and bureaucracy, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, psilocybin will be decriminalized in a number of places and that in a lot of places we'll be com- seeing some, you know, reputable studies for, you know, assisted therapies in controlled settings, um, you know, using doses that are, um, yeah, structured and controlled. So uh, that being said, that we're on this topic, um, sure. if you're willing, I'd love to get uh, Dr. Justin Mitchell and you uh, on a call together uh, with us or on one of the podcasts to kind of explore this, you know, this avenue when it comes to addiction, right? Sure. Because I know uh, that's something that he's passionate about. And I know as a psychologist, it's something that you see constantly. Oh, yeah. Right. And I'd like to I'd just like to for us to explore it uh, on a uh, medical level, on a psychology Mm -hmm. level, uh, but also on a Christian level, spiritual level. Right. Is this something we should introduce, um, you know, as being a Christian? um, You know, is this something that we should embrace something that's that is, you know, that you could quote unquote you know, call a Christian adventure, even though it's dealing with, you know, drugs and substances and stuff like that. I think that would be a great conversation to have if you're willing to have it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A lot of my work has been in health psychology and integrative care, working in doctor's offices side by side. And I think that 
that way on one of the major inter overlaps is substance use and addictions and things like that. Sounds like a fun conversation to have. Awesome. Awesome. Monty, because Julian is your brother, I'm going to let you uh, ask the last question or uh, have the last, <laughs> last uh, talk here. Uh, yeah, last last question. Uh, let's just kind of circle back around. You know, sure. you kind of address, address what toxic, toxic masculinity is um, right. and kind of, you know, everything that details around that. But so someone say someone's listening and they have a question about about it or or think that that could be them. You know, what's that next step? Well, I think that folks can unpack these things and what they mean for them in a setting that is with a professional. I always encourage folks to put their foot in the door uh, with a therapist. A lot of folks do consultations where, you know, if you don't want to jump all in the pool all, all uh, head first, you can like dip your toe in and they're typically free and you can just talk about it and ask around. Um if you don't feel comfortable seeing mental health providers or professionals, I think that these are just helpful conversations to have in communities, uh, in groups of other men with friends, having opportunities that we can practice being vulnerable. Like, yeah, uh, I felt this one thing this one time and boy, it wasn't great. And I, let's just connect around these shared human experiences. Um, but ultimately, it, you know, if someone was listening to this and try to take this perspective that, you know, there was probably a time not too long ago where, you know, the roles that women could fill in society were, you know, you could probably count them on, on one hand, maybe two. Right. And then a lot of the civil rights and, and feminist movements, you know, told women that like, Oh no, you can actually be anything that you, you want to be. Right. And the idea is that that to be equal is to extend the same, you know, you know, the same idea to men, right? That you don't just have to be a provider. You don't just have to be a protector. You don't have to fill a specific role. Like you also can be whatever you want to be, right? Because if I was playing by a stereotype too, then I probably wouldn't be a psychologist, uh, you know, a dude dealing with a bunch of feelings, right? So um, I think that once we get to the point where, you know, we even that playing field and everyone feels as though they have the opportunity to choose the ways that they show up in the world authentically, uh, then we can start, you know, bridging the gap so that it's not, uh, you know, us versus them or men versus women, or we have to choose if if we have to choose between men or women, which one has to go, uh, but that we can start saying, okay, how do we solve this problem as a collective together? Great answer. Um, it really, really was. Thanks go for ahead. agreeing, Ruby. Uh, <laughs> That's all I have to say. Yes, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, no, that, that that was it. I mean, you you wrapped it up. Um, obviously, I, I think this is something we could probably talk for another hour, but I know your, oh, yeah. your time is valuable. So we, we'd hope that you uh, come back. Obviously, we didn't even get to, um, you know, the fact that you're, you know, you're writing in, you're in the middle of writing a book right now, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um it's, it's fitness it's about self about fitness psychology so we yeah. definitely need to come bring you back and we kind of discuss fitness psychology and how, maybe how you can help ruben's golf game a little bit by kind of getting to his head <laughs> dude i could use it for sure yeah. absolutely oh, for yeah. sure well, well first we'll just let you heal first how's that yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's, well that's i have to i have to one. get through healing without tearing it again because i'm overdoing it <laughs> 
Well, don't be toxically but, but, masculine, and maybe you'll have <laughs> Wrap it up. Got take some pain pills. Get on the course. There you go. Rub <laughs> some dirt on it. Let's go. But, I mean, yeah. obviously, all three of us um, were athletes at one time, right? And so yeah. we have all I struggled with form, right, and getting, getting mm -hmm. the best out of, like, our bodies and stuff like that. So I think it'd be great to have you back on, and let's discuss that a little bit more and, and, yeah. and dive a little bit deeper and um, and see just how the best us can can come out you know absolutely it's very cool um i know you're out there in the socials man Do you want to give any of your social stuff out boy all my social stuff has like very little to do with all of my academic stuff and a lot to do with all of my strange esoteric power hobbies um i i'm i'm very cautious about plugging my parkour channel so if anybody wants to watch me do parkour it's julian fraser underscore pk um, but, yeah. uh, other than that, I, I will probably not go full force in, in social media until the book is out. Um, I think I have a medium yeah. account somewhere. If you just want to read random things that I write. So I was going to say, hey, I, I read those random media. things, dude. Okay. <laughs> uh, if if you right. guys do actually want to, uh, check out some of the articles that he's, uh, written, it's at, uh, medium, medium.com or the app medium. Uh, yeah. He has a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, what's your, your search for in medium? Yeah, I think it's if you just look for Julian Fraser or Julian.Fraser.PhD or something like that, it'll it'll pop up. Perfect, man. Are you, are you still active? You still active on that? I'm still active on that. Um, posting about once a week, kind of just by whatever nice. inspires me. I, I see it between wow. twenty and thirty people a week, and I have to write a note for each of those. So sometimes my fingers are just yeah. burnt out. But well, yeah, hopefully I we can get you up to 35, 40 people a week and <laughs> bump you up. There we go. Hey, get on Zoom, dude. You can knock those things out in a hurry, right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, brother, I, I really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, seriously, if you guys want to hear um, some more thoughts that he has, you can go to Medium. Uh, I read his articles. They're very good. Um, and then we're going to have you back on to discuss your upcoming book. And uh, hopefully we can get you and uh, Dr. Mitchell on to talk about um, yep. psychedelics when it comes to addiction. But uh, Julian, brother, I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, I love you. And anybody that wants to challenge Julian Frazier, um, <laughs> psychologist <laughs> to a uh, race, uh, you can comment on any of our social media, pl media platforms. We will set it up and uh, we will test him <laughs> being the world's fastest psychologist. Oh, so Julian, brother, I love it you. Is. Thanks for coming on. Uh, hey, no, it was, it was a great conversation, uh, uh, conversations that that's needed having, you know, some uh, a, um, actual psychologist with a PhD to talk about these things is uh, very helpful. And I know we'll, we will utilize him more uh, as our podcast grows to, to get an actual, um, you know, PhD psychologist take on a lot of these things. Uh, but I truly enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, no, obviously, uh, he's a lot smarter than we are. So obviously, you know, we're not experts in the field. So when we do talk about something and people are like, you don't know what you're talking about. We can be like, oh, now we do because we have a doctor on our side. So um, <laughs> It works perfectly. I know. We, yeah, I've got a brother that's is, an, uh, a physician. you got a brother that's a psychologist. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, that was a great conversation. Oh, yeah. Let's uh let's so if, you have any, if you have any bad comments, direct them. If you have any bad comments, direct them to Julian. All right. It's his fault. So and Seriously. leave all the good comments to us. God, I hope somebody challenges him, dude. It's gonna be the greatest thing ever. Uh, yeah, that would be smoked. phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. So, uh, 
But let's roll into a little politics. There's not a ton to cover here. The big headlines right now is uh, Tucker Carlson uh, is no longer with Fox. Uh, He left Fox, uh, which was a shock to me. Right there, I don't yeah, think there was any indication that he was going to leave. There's no reason now. We're just kind of out there, just going, "What the heck?" Uh, I read an article today that said uh, he that segment that he has is uh, one of the uh, the top segment uh, within Fox. Uh, he has a, yeah. a ton of views. Um, they they put a, a money value on it. It was about seven hundred million dollars. Uh, you mm. know his value. What do you think about all this? What do you think is going on? Yeah, I, I I don't know. Obviously, you know, like what there was a lawsuit, you know, that that Fox was a was. Um, yeah, a blank. But there was a there was a lawsuit. Um, a lot of people against said it had to Dom- do with that. Dominion voting machines. Right, right. And, and Dominion won. Right. And so. Yep. Um, and so a lot of people said it had to do with that because I guess, you know, Tucker Carlson was one of the guys that kind of pushed on, you know, the, the election was rigged and the, you know, the machines were you know, weren't working the way they were supposed to, or they, or they rigged the machines. And so, um, some people, you know, blamed it, blamed it for that reason. Um, but I can tell you, he wasn't the only one, you know, and I, you know, that whole network was pushing it at one time. Um, and so if he's a scapegoat for that, I think that's, that's kind of soft. So, I mean, obviously I think it's something else, but, um, right now we don't know. Um, and obviously it's, it's a, it's a shock cause he was the number one guy for, um, Fox News and a, a lot of people uh, watched that show and relied to hear what he had to say. And I mean, if, I mean, I think the Republican Party is probably pretty shocked about this. So we'll see what happens and who takes who takes that new slot and um, where Fox goes from here. I, I think Fox is on a a, a major decline. Dan uh, Brenzelli, I think is his last name. Um, I, I've watched him uh, on occasion. He left earlier uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, who was a very high-rated uh, commentary on Fox News, and then Tucker Carlson. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to be struggling. Uh, you know, Don Don Lemon got released from CNN, which was the other major uh, news story. And I, I personally, I, I do believe it's connected to this lawsuit, right? Because this mm-hmm. this lawsuit sets the new standard of uh, what can and can't be said uh, on you know, a a news outlet, right? And basically, you know, the lawsuit was somebody that came on the show that said that uh, Dominion was, you know, doing a lot of sketchy things. um, And it turned out they weren't, but they had knowledge uh, beforehand that proved that they weren't doing the things that they claimed, right? Which I I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, or if you're for for CNN or for Fox News, you can't do that, right? If you're a news outlet, uh, you can't knowingly lie to uh, the people that are are viewing your your news outlet. So yeah. I think that this lawsuit sets a new standard of what a what can be said, what can't be said. And Don Lemon on on the CNN side is is the same person, right? He pushes a lot of things that aren't true. Uh, and I think CNN saw a lawsuit just waiting to happen, right? I I think that's that's what took place. Uh, I, and I think there's two roads to go down uh, to go down here with with all of this happening. Uh, one is that you're you're never going to get uh, the opposite eye the opposite side of the aisle on a news segment because everybody's going to be afraid um, to bring somebody on that's that is maybe um, 
leans a little bit to the to the right spectrum, right? So I, I think, you know, potentially you could see a a major halt in seeing two different sides on the same news channel, right? Um, that's one angle that you could take. The other angle that you could take, which I think is the more positive uh, side of the aisle, is you can't lie, right? You, you can't push false claims. Right, which I think is going to be good for both sides, right? Yeah. Um, hopefully, I, I I hopefully feel that that's what this lawsuit's going to end up doing for the news, uh, you know, the news segment that we have in this country, uh, where people are actually going to have to say the news and not their opinion. Um, yeah. What I'm really interested in is if this starts to go to YouTubers. And people that have their own podcasts, you know, uh, different things like that, because it has the potential to be very toxic, right? Where people can't, uh, you know, speak their mind and, and you know, uh, have an opinion on things that are outside uh, the realm of fact, right? There's there's a certain uh, there's a certain element to having an opinion and having an opinion is something that you can't necessarily define with facts, but in your opinion, this has happened, right? Is this lawsuit going to make it to where people can't say their opinion? Right. So I, I think there's a lot of questions going on right here in this realm. Uh, which side do you think this, this is going to fall on? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think um, like you talk about f falling into YouTube, I think it's, it's going to happen. I think it has happened. Right. You even think back to Alex Jones, right? And and the Sandy Hook story when he was trying to say Sandy Hook yeah, is getting fake, demonetized, happen, yeah. blah, blah. Right. And the, and the conspiracy theories. And then he got he got sued. Right. And then he, he has to owe nine hundred sixty five million dollars to the families of Sandy Hook and, you know, all that big ordeal because, it you know, shocker they found out sandy hook was real you know and you know and he let this big propaganda that sandy hook was fake um so i definitely think like i think you can state your opinion you might be like hey my opinion is you make people know um and yeah sure or maybe even say it one time you're okay but if i mean if this is something you you create propaganda out of right and you're just pushing and pushing and pushing then i think obviously if the right person's looking at you you might get hit for it so uh, it's kind of scary, very, Monty, to be honest with it's, you. It's that, kinda, that's very scary. It's kind of scary in a way, but on the flip side, right, this might help like protect the integrity of news and reporting. You know, we always get on here and say, you know, you know, CNN or Fox News that they have an agenda and they they're going to push, you know, their agenda, um, even when it's not always true, right? And so hopefully, this provides some kind of platform to where like they're reporting the truth. Because like, you know, there's like a clear div divide between news and opinion journalists like right. they, they make it to where you have like you ha you can't say your news and then say, you know what I mean? There has to be a clear divide right. there because I mean, the Alex Jones thing, right? Like it, when you live in a country that has freedom of speech, right, you're mm -hmm. you're walking a, a, a really thin line when it comes to these types of lawsuits, right? Because we do have freedom That's of true. speech. I'm allowed to say conspiracy theories, right? That's part right. Of, of living in a country where I can say whatever I want, as long as it's not a right. call to action, right? I don't know what made the lawsuit stick if he said, I'm a news organization, 
right? And then said the Sandy Hook thing as a fact, if that was maybe something. Uh, right. All I can hope is that this goes in a direction that makes our country and our news outlets better. That's all 100%, I can hope for. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. I agree. I mean, we, we've preached it on here. You know, we tell everyone, you know, to do their own homework. Don't just take, you know, the first article they read or the first CNN news report or first Fox news report, go in there and they take a deep dive and search because, because we know, you know, the news is going to like tell you their side of the story, but you want what they want you to believe. Right. So hopefully this changes that and they actually report news that are the truths. Right. So I can sit down, I can listen to a Fox news um, segment or CNN segment and be like, that's right. You know, not like, hold on, wait a second. I, I know my, my boy, uh, my boy Trump didn't say that, you know? So, yep. um, you know, so yeah, I, I hope it just, you know, upholds the integrity of, of news and reporting to a higher standard than, than what we've been seeing lately. Maybe, maybe it'll make people come out and say, I'm an opinion, you know, journalist other than right. I'm just a news, a news right. person. Right. And you have to do that in, in a newspaper, right? It's like you have the news and then there's a side that's like, oh, here's an opinion piece. And then it's literally a guy stating his opinion, right? So um, it happens in newspapers. So, or, I mean, why it doesn't happen in television media and other outlets, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how uh, the dominoes fall on this one. I, I think us being in this realm, uh, we need to keep a close eye on it and see what actually right. uh, takes place here. But I think we're starting to see the effects of it. Um, a lot of yep. people didn't really pay attention, but anybody that that has a podcast or does anything, you know, dealing with news, I think this is important uh, to see what kind of uh, downstream effects this has in the good or in the negative. Let's let's hope for the yep. the positive, right? In this stuff, right? Um, go ahead. Well, I, hold on. I think I mean they definitely like like you know these two guys. I mean these guys are power players in the media like world, right? So like yep. I mean. I don't know. I don't know, like if it was a CNN idea or Fox News idea or or whatever you know uh, the case may be. But I mean, this is a big statement right here by itself that these two guys are no longer part of their respected networks. Yeah, it it really is, and and I think uh, I think you know they're they're not the same because Tucker Carlson left, right? Where right. Don Lemon got fired, right? So I, I think they're two separate things. I think. With uh, Tucker Carlson, it may be uh, just a deal where he has enough, uh, you know, enough viewers to have his own thing, uh, just like Dan is doing, right? He's going full time on his own channel, his own podcast, right? He has enough followers. He doesn't need the Fox Network to be successful and get his opinion out there. It may be the same, uh, same with uh, Tucker Carlson, right? He feels like he's got enough, right. uh, enough following where he can go do his own thing he's not you know attached to the fox news organization doesn't need that platform to get his message out uh, you know don lemon was just let go right um so i i think those are two separate two separate things um you know another a potential uh bad downside effect of this is that uh fox news is you know it, it's not owned by a conservative media group right it's owned by the mega you know uh the mega media groups that are out there right now um mm. so hopefully it's not you know it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on it's always good to have uh, a side that leans to the right side that leans to the left so you can kind of figure out what's going on in this type of world what i hope 
what I would hope is that everybody just reports the damn news and stays out of opinion if you call yourself news, but that's not the world we live in, right? Uh, the world right. we live in is is left, right. You read both and then you kind of come somewhere in the middle, right? There's some, there's got to be some middle right. truths in there. Um, but again, I, I just hope this this works for the good and not for the bad. That that's my main thing on this is is I just I hope the dominoes fall where it makes you know our news uh, media realm better at its job. Yeah, for sure, I totally agree. So uh, the the only other news is uh, uh, we did have uh, our embassy in Sudan uh, get evacuated. Uh, there's an ongoing war there. Um, they said they the U.S. and a couple of the other countries negotiated a 72-hour ceasefire uh, with the ongoing going war. Um, I think that this is a terrible look for Joe Biden uh, in the Biden administration uh, to leave uh, reported about 19,000 Americans uh, stuck in Sudan as of this moment uh, on an ongoing going war, right? We, wa we watched what happened in Afghanistan you know, I kind of feel like this is just another, you know, uh, another instance of Joe Biden, you know, basically just, you know, uh, leaving Americans in a war ridden area without any regard. Right. Um, well, how have you seen these articles? What's your opinion on this? Yeah, I haven't actually seen anything um, concerning this. I was wondering, is I mean, is this 72 hour ceasefire uh, an attempt to get the people out it's like okay they're going to stop fighting for a couple of days let's get them out while we can right is, is this what's going that's, on or that's what, what basically the, the plan that? that's basically the plan is is yeah and, and here's my take on this you don't give america 72 hours to get out right yeah like that that's my first thing is you don't give us hours we we as the military might that we have we say what we're going to do, and if you don't do it, we bomb the fuck, bomb the hell out of you, right? Like, like, why are we even taking, yeah. like, having to negotiate with Saddam armed forces, right? Like, I, I, the, and this goes to my overall, you know, foreign, uh, foreign plan that that Joe Biden has is we just look awfully weak, like we just look weak, right? I, I think this doesn't help our look in the in the you know, foreign policy realm that we're in. Yeah. Right. I, I really, it's like, you're going to stop firing. We're going to get all of our people out. And if you don't, right, we're just going to come destroy you because we're bigger and better than you. Like I, in my opinion, that's the way this should go. Not negotiate with terrorists and, and all these different things. Like, I don't think that's a good look for us, but that's what's going on. These the the you know people spy, uh, fighting the uh, Sudan armed forces and the rapid support forces are having a war. Uh, they said, okay, we'll cease fire for seventy two hours to get everybody out. My question is, so what happens when that seventy two hours is up and they're still Americans? Right. Yeah. Right. I because mean, Joe Biden cannot have another Afghanistan on his hands. Right. At all. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing, and and hopefully, you know, that administration kind of knows that, you know, they know how that went down, and they know the reception they they received from that. Um, I hope they learn from that lesson, and I hope they have a better exit strategy than they did last time. Uh, you obviously this time around, you, you can't blame it on Trump. 
you know, they, they literally you know, try, <laughs> they'll find a way those terms. Right. So like, obviously this is, this is all on them. Um, you have people there that you, you need to get them out. They, you know, they work for the government, they work for you. It, it is your job to protect them. Um, I, I might not say, don't go blow the whole country up, but obviously you got, you do what you got to do to protect your people. Um, and so, I mean, this is a, is this a civil war then between the, the people yeah. of Sudan? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, now, I, now, granted, uh, I, I agree that we necessarily shouldn't be involved in this, right? right? It's not, it's not in our country, but you know, we, we, when, when you have, you know, twenty thousand Americans, you know, in Sudan, again, like you just, you just said, it's your responsibility. If you, if your plan is just evacuate, which I think is a dumb plan, anyways, but if you just evacuate, then it's your responsibility to get all of them out safely right yeah. that's your responsibility the is, right and the thing that's the thing i mean we're we're big enough we're strong enough we could we can do it in six hours you, you fly freaking 20 planes cargo those big you know cargo planes stack them with people and get out of there right and then you have obviously the you know the military to, to protect them to make sure they get in and out safely but i mean we can do that and, and you know and, and that's you know we have worked this hard to get in this situation to be able to protect our people and then to not do it. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's not a good look. Right. But hopefully, you know, um, they're working on a solution and hopefully the solution actually pans out, you know, cause I mean, why would anyone ever want to work for the government in a different country when they're like, you like, I, I have no, I'm de dead, dead in the water right here. If something goes South. And so um, I, I, I hope I hope they figure it out. Yeah, I, I do too. I don't think it's a good look for us when we're just pulling out of any country that has terminal oil, right? Like, mm -hmm. right. I just I I don't like it. I I don't I I really don't. I just think it look, makes us look weak. Like I said, um, you know, we're negotiating with people. Uh, you know, the Sudan. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just it, it's frustrating to me um, that we're gonna, you know, potentially leave americans you know completely leave a country that has americans yeah it just uh it, it it strikes a chord with me um especially after what happened in afghanistan you know you know people were throwing babies over fences uh to get them out of uh you know a soon-to-be hellhole right uh after all the work that we've put in plus it was a good uh place to have you know a, a military base uh, given that we have nothing close to China, who's our biggest threat on an actual military mm. spectrum, right? And now we're pulling more people out of there. It's just like, you know, it, it's frustrating. I, I'm not a foreign policy expert, um, but I just don't think it's a good look for uh, for America to do this again. And I and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if if an American dies or there's Americans left behind here. It's going to be a major issue for Joe Biden, right? Because he got away with Afghanistan, where if you notice, it was in the news for two days, and then it was gone. If he does it again, right, it's going to be a major, major issue, right? right. It, absolute major issue. And I think it could be a, a, a big downfall for the Democratic Party. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, I, I don't know how many people 
pay attention to Sudan or or care about what's going on there. So um, that be that would be a point of interest as well. But yeah, I mean, you're 100 right. Um, you can't and you can't leave these people here, especially you know a lot of the people outside of the embassy. You know, they're just doing humanitarian work. You know, trying to help and support the people of Sudan, right? And so you know, and I'm pretty sure you know there might be some that want to stay because they're like, Hey, I, I want to help the people that are getting injured and, you know, and sick and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure that at this point it's getting so bad. There's a, you know, um, a vast majority of them that want to get out and we should give them the option to get out, you know? So I don't know how we're communicating to them over there and what's going on, but we have the capabilities to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, that's the, uh, end of politics for today. Let's, uh, let's roll into some sports. Sports, sports, sports. We'll try to make it quick. Obviously, the hot news today, as we've been kind of following it, Aaron Rodgers is finally a New York Jet. It finally went down. Um, you know, that puts the Jets in a prime position to make to make a run. I think their team was had everything but a quarterback, right? Um, it was a trade for picks. So uh, the Packers basically um the deal Aaron Rodgers and they uh, and their first they basically switched first round picks this year right um that and it wasn't much their 15th pick um and then a 2023 fifth round pick to the Jets for New York's 2023 first round pick which is the 13th pick overall and their second round pick which is the 42nd overall and then here's they get the the sixth round pick and a conditional pick in 2024 um, that becomes a first round pick if Rodgers plays more than 65%. And unless he gets hurt, we all know he's going to play more than 65% of the season. So um, our boy Adam Schefter from ESPN reported that earlier today. Um, it's very interesting to see because I thought uh, I would think the Packers would, would ask for a lot more than 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 just those picks. But um, apparently Aaron Rodgers was pretty convincing to get out of there. Um you know the Jets. They already had a, a really strong defense. It's the uh, fourth in the in the NFL last year. So they're hoping with that defense, kind of like the Tom Brady effect, right? Tampa Bay had this great defense, and they finally put a quarterback in place, and they can win it, win a championship. I think they're trying trying to do the same thing here. What's What's your thoughts on this Aaron Rodgers trade? I really thought they were going to try to get more. Um, I think this. Yeah, there's, yeah, it oh, yeah. I mean, just a couple of picks. I mean, you, what'd you get? one first rounder out of this a, a, a second rounder a sixth rounder right i think for green bay it was more just getting him off the payroll right just yeah uh, you know i i think he had a, a growing more and more controversy in and off the field uh, i think green bay was just done right they got a super bowl title um you know he he did his job there uh, let's move them on. I, I I am very surprised that they didn't get more for him. Uh, I don't know if that goes to just uh, the Packers not negotiating well, or just you know that Aaron Rodgers maybe uh, uh, potential or trading power has gone down. Right. I, I don't know yeah. what to toss that up to. Um, you know, obviously he'll play sixty five percent of the season. That's the first time I've actually seen that in a. Uh, a negotiation uh, where he has to play a certain <laughs> amount. Uh, that's kind of, right. uh, you know, uh, something new for me. You know, they, they just drafted a quarterback like two seasons ago. Um, right. I, I just like, I, I don't get, um, 
I don't I don't really get the the uh, the trade here. But uh, Aaron Rodgers wanted out. Green Bay made it happen. I think Green Bay satisfied with their quarterback situation right now. I think they may go through a couple of seasons of, uh, you know, growing and building maybe two or three, uh, maybe even four, uh, you know, granted they've traded off all of their good receivers and, and different things like that. So um, right. I think Green Bay's looking at it from a, uh, from a rebuilding standpoint, right. Um, bring in some, some new talent, maybe in three or four years, they'll, uh, they'll gain back that, that top echelon position uh, in the NFL. I think Jets are looking for a quick hit here. Uh, get them in, maybe get three or four good seasons out of them. Uh, try to win a Super Bowl title. I don't think they can do it, but um, I think that's the way they're looking at it. And I think they walked away with a hell of a deal. Uh, granted, what they had to give up for them. I think Jets uh, Jets win this trade. Yeah, no, I agree. Jets definitely. I mean, besides a couple of picks, basically they're just swapping spots, right? So I mean. And the spots aren't significantly different. So I definitely think the Jets won this trade. Um, the quarterback you're talking about was Zach Wilson. He was the number two overall pick in 2021. And obviously it didn't pan out very well for him. Um, a lot of people were asking what's going to happen to him. Apparently the Jets say they want to keep him. And they, they say they hope under Aaron Rodgers to actually uh, develop into the player that they were looking for when they drafted him. Um, and the same can be said for for the Packers, right? They drafted Jordan Love in the first round, yeah. thinking that Aaron Rodgers was was on his way out when he was, when he was done. And then Aaron Rodgers goes and wins an MVP that year, right? So obviously they're like, okay, hold on on this Jordan Love thing. But I mean, Jordan had to be sitting there thinking like, hey, when am I going to get my shot? Am I going to play here? Because if not, send, send me someplace, right? So um, I think there was a lot of people waiting for their turn. Um, through this and obviously you know Jordan's next man up and like you said his weapons are totally diminished from the weapons Aaron Rodgers had so we'll see how they do but they're definitely re rebuilding but uh, kudos to the Jets you guys win this one and uh, we'll see we'll see how uh, next year next year works for you guys yeah um, I, I definitely you know, uh, agree with that and I think there's some other things going on there as bringing in Aaron Rodgers with Zach Wilson maybe they're not done with Zach Wilson Maybe they're right. just bringing them in to to get them ready to go. Like I said, I think Aaron Rodgers has probably like two, three, four years left, right? If Zach Wilson's right. willing to learn in those uh, in those years, I think he could come out ahead. Uh, but I think keep your eyes on if Zach uh, Wilson leaves or not. Yeah, yeah. Zach apparently he he idolized Aaron Rodgers growing up, right? I mean, Zach's a young guy, so he probably was watching the prime Aaron Rodgers growing up and that was that was his idol so i think if he's willing to sit there and wait and learn like this could be a, a great opportunity for him right and we all know aaron Rodgers is a long-term solution so still the jets like we need a guy right when when aaron Rodgers is is gone so hopefully long term this could really pan out in their favor if zach wilson's you know willing to sit and, and just chill for a little bit yeah i'm with you um, all right, let's go to a little golf. You know, uh, Liv is back. Um, they were in Australia. Did you watch any of this on the CW network? I did yeah, not. Neither know. did I. <laughs> neither did I. But uh, Taylor, oh, <laughs> um, was it uh, next week? When, oh, no, it's in May um, yeah. when they're coming to Cedar Ridge. But um, Taylor Gooch, who's an OSU cowboy, yes, he, is. Um, he, finally, he finally got a win um, over there. The crazy thing is, you know, the purse, like he he won four point three seven five million dollars just in this one victory, right? 
and his whole career in the PGA, he won 9.25 and he yeah. turned pro in 2014. So, I mean, you can back roughly say a nine year, 10 year run, you make $9 million. So you're averaging a little over one a year. Um, he had 121 starts in the PGA and he only won one tournament. Right. And so in the second year of live, he's already winning a tournament and he's already making half of what he made his entire PGA career. Um, obviously this is why the guys are making the jump. Um, but I mean, one, if he's winning tournaments like this already, what does that say about the field? Right. And you know, like the competition, we've already talked about that before, but I, I mean, I mean, this guy's partying right now. What takes, what's, where's his motivation to keep playing? Well, I mean, I, I think there's two things to take away from this, right? Uh, one is you obviously see why players left, right? The money yeah. was there, right? Is it good? Is yeah. it live going to last? I don't think so. But I mean, you can't blame the guy, right? <laughs> I mean, for, for one tournament, right? Um, I think it, it states the case on why people left, right? And it also yeah. states the case on the talent <laughs> in the live tournaments, Compared to the PGA yeah. Tour, this guy started 121 starts, you know, one win in, you know, uh, what was he there? Eight years, seven years, right? Um, yeah. yeah. I think it states that that the talent is just not there and live. Yeah, they have a lot of great guys. Uh, it's also a smaller field, right? Different things like that. But, um, you know, I, I'm an OSU guy, so or I'm an OSU golf guy. Uh, I'm an OU guy, but when it comes to golf, uh, I, I like I like LSU. They produce a lot of good golfers. Um, yeah, they do. I, so I'm happy with that. Uh, but I just I, I don't think the talent's there. I think the money's there, uh, but that money's just not going to last, right? And we'll get a firsthand look on on uh, kind of what the difference is in in the pool that the Live has compared to the PGA because we are in, in golf nation, right? OU OSU are a lot of times number one and two in golf, right? Uh, a lot of people don't know mm -hmm. that, you know, Oklahoma produces Oklahoma and OSU, Oklahoma as a state produces a ton of golfers, right? So, golfers. And, I mean, you can, there's a golf course about every two miles in Oklahoma, right? We are obviously a, a state that loves to golf. So I think we'll get a firsthand look on uh, kind of the pool that Liv has. Um, good for him. Right. Four million dollars is a ton of money, dude. An absolute right. ton of money. So good for him. Um, I think Liv just has a crap load of money. And I think they're gonna burn through it really quickly if uh, you know, Taylor yeah. Gooch is taking home four million dollars. <laughs> right, for sure. Like I mean, I think, you know, if you're a mid table guy, live is great for you, right? Because you can go there, make a great living, and then get out and just retire, enjoy your life, right? Yep. Of course, the Tigers, the, the Rory's, you know, I think that's why people, you know, were upset with, you know, Dustin Johnson and some of these other guys, because these guys are at the top of their game. And they're like, you know, some of the, you know, still one of the best players in the world, right? And they're, le they're le leaving to go to live. But for these mid-table guys, why not? Go jump over there, get your money while you can, and, and, and get out. Because obviously, um, you're living and live is going to be way better than you're living in the PGA. Um, Cause you know, they don't have the sponsorships. They don't have, they're not winning the other, the, the events like the top guys are. So, so go ahead and do it. Right. But, uh, but Taylor Gooch, um, OSU Cowboy, you know, congratulations on that one. That's a good win. So that's a good check. So. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I do have one, one thing to say about the live golf tour that I thought about the other day. 
speaking of Oklahoma okay. golfers, um, right. there's a golfer called uh, named Anthony Kim that played in the hey. PGA and was extremely, you know, uh, drew a lot of crowds, extremely good golfer. And then he just disappeared, right? Mm. He just absolutely disappeared off the map. And there's conversations going on right now because he can't join the PGA Tour. Is he going to join the Live Tour? And I tell you what, if Live wants to survive, I would, I would pray that they would bring Anthony Ken back and let him play on the Live Tour because he draws such a massive crowd. Right, he used to do clinics with Tiger Woods. Right, he—I mm-hmm. mean, he had the big belt buckle that had AK on it. He's an Oklahoma Sooner. Right, I would yeah. love to see him. I would absolutely. So, what love happened to him? him? Where did where did he go? It's it's like an ongoing mystery, right? In, in the <laughs> realm of golf, because nobody really can tell you. Right, there's right. a bunch of theories going around. One is he got injured and settled a injury lawsuit worth you know more than he was going to make in the pga tour but one of the stipulations Mm. is you can't play golf anymore you can't play on the pga tour um wow that was one of the things going on uh there's a lot of people that said he was kind of like brooks kepka then wasn't a big fan of golf right he was just just awesome at it right and he just Mm -hmm. you know decided to just stop playing right so there's a ton of speculations going on right he's kind of that that um, you know, that mystery golfer, what happened? Can he still play? Can he not play? Uh, so I think it would be great for Liv. If, if you, I mean, to be honest, like a, a golf fanatic I am, if Kim went on the tour, I would go. I would go. I would go to the Liv <laughs> just to see him play, right? Just right. to see if he still got it. So, Liv, if you're listening, smart play to go try to chase him. Uh, you have the money I'll for find it, him. right? Uh, because uh, yeah. my guess is if the insurance claim is correct, you'd have to pay back that money, right? If Liv is willing to say, hey, we'll pay back that that big lump sum, plus give you X to come on tour. I mean, he may do it, right? I actually read an article, uh, you know, about a month ago that said he still plays golf, right? So uh, oh, that would yeah. be interesting. That'd be extremely yeah. interesting. Well, and I, I pray to if, God if it there's... actually happens. <laughs> If there's anyone who can cover that settlement, it would be uh, Live Golf, right? So um, <laughs> let's make that let's make that happen. Yeah, let's, we're gonna yep. tag we're gonna tag Live Live Golf in, in the comments. Live Golf and, and uh, uh, Anthony Kim, get out there and play, yep. brother. Let's go, let's go. Uh, talk about playing the NBA playoffs for today. They continue today. Uh, we have some crazy stories. When I first looked at this. Uh, Milwaukee was was beating Miami by like 10, 12 points. Um, I obviously turned it off, came, brought it back up, and Miami won. Um, your boy Jimmy Butler went off for 56 points. Then now the number eight Miami has a 3-1 lead over the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks. Like, it's, I mean, like, are they gonna win? Can can Milwaukee bounce back? I mean, uh, Giannis he played today. He suited up, so I don't I don't know how healthy he was, but he you know he tried to make a difference. But um, and we know like if he doesn't go, Milwaukee doesn't go, right? So I mean, can Milwaukee come back? Man, I I don't know. This is uh you know with the statistics, right? Um, ninety nine percent of teams that are up three to one win. Right. We've we've mm. seen teams like Golden State come back and beat my dear Thunder three to one. Right. 
It's it's yeah, happened. Yeah. It's not out of the still question. It, that that still hurts to this day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I still blame Kevin Durant for for those losses, but <laughs> it's not out of the question. Let's put it that way. It doesn't look good, right? If Miami pulls this out, I mean, more power to you, right? Like what what a freaking victory here in this series jimmy butler just going off dude um yeah so i i, I think it's a great storyline right I, i'm not a big miami fan uh but for milwaukee to be you know considered the best team in the league to lose to the first round um you know i i i think that's a phenomenal storyline uh can they pull it out i'm not so sure because they go back uh to milwaukee Next, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think if well, seven they go games. back to to Milwaukee and Milwaukee just stomps them, I think Milwaukee has enough momentum uh, to take them to game uh, seven and beat them, right? Because we'll go back to yeah. Milwaukee for game seven. Um, if, they, if they win, but they don't win in a big way, I think they're going to... Uh, they're not going to win game six because Miami will go into that game knowing that, you know, Milwaukee didn't play that good. Maybe, you know, the heat underplayed um, different things like that. I just don't think, I think what Milwaukee needs to do is smash them completely obliterate them, put them back, you know, to the corner and say, we are way better than you. We had a couple of bad games, but we're going to absolutely destroy you the next three games. And I think if Milwaukee yeah. doesn't do that, Miami's got a shot to win this thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and Miami had to get in through the the playoff play in like little series too. Yeah. Um, so they had some extra games. You think you think they'd be getting tired and win it by now uh, while uh, Milwaukee rested, but we'll we'll yep. see. But I think you're right. I think I think if Milwaukee can get can get a big, big win at home and kind of demoralize Miami a little bit, they can make a little run out of this. But if Miami can, you know, maybe maybe if even if they lose, if it's if it's close, Miami will still say, "Hey, we we can we can still do this." Yeah, that that's 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 the biggest shocker to me right there. Um, but Jimmy Butler is a baller. We 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 have always known that he's always had that ability in him. It's just if he wanted to do it or not. Um, but tonight he showed up. Uh, Memphis is trails the L.A. Lakers one game to two. Um, they're actually playing right now, and the scores tied. Or Grizzlies are up sixty-eight, sixty-seven right now, so that's going to be a tight one. I can actually see this game. I can see this going going seven games too. Um, the way these guys go back and forth, they're very evenly matched. Um, even though you, you would think Memphis Memphis would run away with it, but um, the Lakers seem to match up pretty well with their size. Um, and Memphis is kind of an undersized team, and I think that's what kind of keeps the LA LA in it. I've been watching any, any of these games. Well, uh, like I said last one, if LA wins this, right, they they win the series, right? Memphis yeah. has to take a game at home from LA. They didn't take it last game. Um, it, you know, they're up a couple points. It's going to be back and forth. Um, if Memphis wins this one, I, I think, you know, they go back home uh, next game. They win that. They're up three games to two. Uh, they've already won one at home or at, away at, uh, you know, the Lakers home court. So I think I think it comes down to this game. Lakers pull this out. I think they win. Um, you know, they they just, you know, LeBron James is having a good series, right? Um, yeah. it, it's surprise. It's not. It, it's a little bit surprising to me, but not fully. They do. You know, LA does have a 
a good roster. Uh, but I think it comes down to this game. Memphis has to pull it out. Absolutely has to pull this thing out. Yeah, but you have to you have to win your home games, right? If not, you're you're gonna struggle. So yeah, we'll see how tonight ends. But I, I totally understand. I agree with you. If if Memphis can't win tonight, it's over, right? It's so, done. Uh, uh, the next two no brainers, right? Boston leads Atlanta three games to one. They play tomorrow. Boston's gonna close it out. Denver leads Minnesota three games to one. Denver's gonna close it out. I'm actually shocked Minnesota actually won a game. Yeah, I, I think I think you agree, right? Uh, I think the shocker to both of us, Phoenix leads the Clippers three games to one. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, when two superstars on the team are, are injured and they can't play, that's going to hurt the Clippers a lot. Um, you know, and Kawhi and, and Paul George and, you know, Abor Russ just does not have the scoring ability, you know, to to take over a game, right? So um, if he could just shoot a little better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing, dude. Uh Kawhi Leonard and in uh, PG are both out, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So so they're they're not even playing, right? And, and that changes the whole dynamic of this of this series, right? When we went into the into this series, both were healthy, both were were gonna play, and I thought six, Sixers had the advantage here. Um, yeah. With them both going down, I mean, it becomes you know a, a no contest. Suns are obviously going to win. They have too much talent. Um, but to finally give props uh, to Russ, he had a good game. He had he absolutely had a good game. He was effective from the field. He was seventeen of twenty nine from the field, so shooting at a fifty eight percent. He was three from six yeah. from uh, three point land. Um, uh, six boards. Four assists. I mean, he did have four turnovers, but you know, given gr- he averages like eight or six, right? It was right. it was a, a good, good game. it's a good night for him. It was a yeah. good game for him. Uh, so I I can't say Russ was the issue. His team didn't show up at all. The other person, uh, the only other person that that scored, you know, halfway decent um, was uh, Powell. He had fourteen points. Right. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Right. right. So, right. so he just doesn't, he didn't have anybody and you know, right. Russ isn't one that's going to be able to uh, necessarily win a game all by himself, but he played a hell of a game, right? That that's the Russ that I like to see effective, you know, um, did what he was supposed to do on the assists and boards. And, uh, you know, Suns just have too much, uh, too, too much manpower to, to stop. Right. Booker put up 30 Durant put up 31, Right, Chris Paul puts yeah. up nineteen. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just, yeah. Like, how are you supposed to play against that? Right, um, right. It's too much. It's just too much. So those yeah. those injuries completely changed that series. Suns are going to roll past them, right? And uh, this thing's going to be yeah. over next game. Yeah, uh, Phoenix dodged a bullet, right? Because I think if you you get both teams at full strength, you you, you see a different series. You know, they they dodged a bullet because you know. 60 75% of the clippers points come from pg and Kawhi, and they're not on the court yeah. so um and plus and plus they're they're great defensive players as well right they do it on both sides of the ball yeah. so um clippers dodge, dodge a bullet i mean phoenix they're good right you know we all know KD can go off at any time booker can go off at any time but yeah. um but i think i think they saw they saw a different team that the i mean the clippers 
it sucks because I, I thought they're gonna make a good run but you got to be healthy right yeah um our Knicks our Knicks can close out the Cavs on Wednesday yep. you know yep. we you you I think were the one to initially call out the Knicks during the season you know they made some great runs beating some good teams you know they they they've beaten you know um um, Milwaukee they, they've beaten you know the Celtics right and so and so now you see them putting it on the Cavs they can close it out on Wednesday uh, I think we both love to see that um, the Kings and Warriors are tied at two uh, Fox as we probably have a, has a broken finger and he's he's a doubt he's a maybe right now um, who do you see where do you see this going well uh, the, the first thing on, on the Knicks I think the the reason that uh, the Knicks are going to win this is they're they're uh, shutting down Mitchell. You know, you you, you look at Donovan Mitchell's numbers. I mean, they're not amazing, right? Um, they're right. doing a, a phenomenal job shutting down uh, shutting down <laughs> Donovan Mitchell, and I think that's what's leading to the success because they're not necessarily high scoring games, right? Uh, Knicks are playing defense, you know, uh, granted, uh, the last game, uh, not game four, but game three Cavs had 79 points, right? The NBA, like yeah. granted it was a blow. It was a blowout. <laughs> Knicks won by 20 points, but man, uh, w- with Donovan Mitchell, you know, on the roster, he's, he's hard to stop. And they've done a, uh, a phenomenal job doing that. Um, so the Warriors and Kings, right? This is going to be the series to watch. If you watch one series, this is it, right? This is the one because they are going back and forth, right? We we mm-hmm. watched, um, you know, this weekend, yeah, you know, Steph Curry called a timeout with no timeouts, right? Then goes down wow. and completely bricks the shot to give Kings an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kings look good, like like they wow. they really do. Um, they didn't capitalize on the Steph Curry, um, you know, uh, mistakes that he had. But mm-hmm. you said Fox is out, right? Fox is out for the series. He, uh, he's a he's a maybe. He broke his finger, so like they're trying to get him so able to play. He's out, right? But he he's 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 their clutch. The guy, right? He scores. Well, that's what I'm saying with him going down again, changes the whole equation, right? Mm. I I think that Warriors go on to win the next two games because, you know, wow. he, well, Fox is averaging 31 points a game, right? Oh Seven goodness, points, yeah. six boards, right? You can't win without him. I'm sorry. Not against the Warriors. You can't. There's no way. So with, with, I- that, with that injury... I, I think uh, war- the Warriors take it down in the next two games. Yeah, the the report is uh, Fox fractured the very tip of his index finger in game four, and there's still hope uh, he will try and play in game five, um, but he will have a, like a protective covering over his finger, right? So even dribbling, shooting, all that all that action that, you know, like that, you, that ball come up the tip of your finger is going to affect his performance, I think, if he does play. Um so I mean, you might be onto something. I mean, if he doesn't play, like they're gonna have a hard, hard, hard time winning a game against Golden State. So absolutely. Um, I mean, he takes the. I mean, he shoot last game. He shot thirty-one times. The closest person to him shot fourteen. Right. He takes the yeah. majority of the shots. 
right? He, I mean, yeah. he's somewhat effective, right? I mean, he, uh, he's the scorer. He, he's the guy. And without yeah. him, and it, they, they're just, they don't have the firepowers to keep up with a team like, uh, like the Warriors. They, they just yeah. don't, man. Uh, it sucks right. because I, I'm, I was rooting for the Kings, but with him right. going down, and it's been a, there's no shot. And it's been a great series too. You, you hate to see, and like it's happened all the whole playoffs, right? But you hate to see a great series be affected by injury. Um, and it is his shooting hand, so that that's that's important. It's not like it's his it's his non-shooting hand where you'd yeah. be like, oh, it doesn't doesn't matter. Like it definitely matters every time. Thirty-one shots with a broken finger, bro. Come on. So not, not gonna be, happen. Yeah, that, that so, would be tough. I I think I said this was the series to watch. What I meant to say, or I said this is the series to watch. What I meant to say was this yeah. was the series to watch. With Fox going right. down, it's not it's right. not going to happen anymore. We'll, we'll we'll see we'll see who step maybe Sabonis will take a shot next game because obviously he had some great looks and he will not shoot the ball. Dude, I, I've never seen somebody <laughs> is wide open and not shoot the ball. Like he looked like he was just like didn't know where he was part of right. the time. He would get the ball literally on the free throw line with nobody around, and he was just like, "Oh my right. god, what do I do with this damn thing?" Like. Right. I, I don't know. It was it was crazy to watch. It was either it was either he was like can't shoot, or the coach was like Sabonis, don't shoot the damn ball. Like you know what I mean? Like right. I don't know what took place there, but I've never seen somebody wide open and just I, he didn't even look to shoot. That was the crazy right. thing. He got right. the ball, and all he was doing was just like looking around, like who do I pass this to? Who do I pass this to? It was right. crazy. It was crazy. It was crazy. Like even his his defender was backing up. His defender was like, "Go ahead, shoot it." He was like, Mm-mm, hey, nope. "His defender was under the basket." <laughs> like, like, I I don't know. I don't know. That was yeah. weird. That but was I, weird to watch. I re- I remember him at OKC. I thought he had it for a big man. I thought he had a decent shot on him. I don't. I, I don't know. Too. I don't know. Maybe maybe he know. he had a couple of bad games and just didn't want to shoot the ball. But uh, I don't. I don't know. But. But yeah. they they they're gonna need some scoring, some extra scoring power if they're gonna even make this uh, a contest. Um, and as we know, the Sixers uh, and beads too much, man. The Sixers they swept the Nets. We all knew that was gonna happen. Four um, um, and but they will win. They'll play the winner of the Celtics Hawks. So, dude, the Celtics Sixers series would be a, a, be a, fun a great one to watch, series man. too. Yeah, that, it's gonna be an absolute be, fun that, one to watch. That'll be a, a fun one to watch. Uh, and that's it for news. I got a cool little story. When Mike Trout was playing uh, Little League Baseball, right? He, so uh, he's 12 years old. He was, when he's 12 years old, he signed uh, a baseball. And someone kept it. And they sold it at an auction for $15,000. Wow. Wow. Like, this isn't, this isn't professional. This isn't professional Mike Trout. This is Little League, 19 years ago, 12-year-old Mike Trout. Uh, and he's, yeah, selling it for auction for $15,600. So uh, congratulations. Uh, they have actually a little picture of it if you want to see his signature. But uh, congratulations to Mike Trout and whoever held on to that baseball that long to actually make some money off of it. I'm actually surprised it didn't go for more, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, mean I figured I'm, that would go. I, I think it would be hard to authenticate that. But just the story right. alone, I think for somebody who's a, a big sports guy, is worth that amount. Yeah. But I, I figured yeah. it would go for more if it was able to be authenticated. Um, that right. number kind of surprised me. I, I, I yeah. really thought it was going to be 
uh, pretty high up there. Um, I think it'll That's... it'll continue to grow in value if it's able to be authenticated. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, you would think. I mean, that's more rare than Mike Trout signing in baseball now, right? Even though he's an oh, MLB yeah. player, right? Like, because who knew that at 12 years old, Mike Trout was going to be the player that he is today? And someone kept it for all this time and, and still has it. So, yeah, I, I definitely think um, I definitely think the value was, you know, 15000 Yeah, it's a lot of money. But for a Mike Trout baseball, you know, I, I definitely thought it would go for more, too. But it's just a, a cool story that, like, all the little leaguers out there start signing your baseballs because you, you never know, like, uh, if you make it, what, what, what it might be worth, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That I think that's only going to gain more value. Again, I, to me, it seems like it just is a matter of being authentic or not. If they had a way mm-hmm. to authenticate that, uh, I think that was a good a good purchase for any sports collector. Uh, to have that in a great story like you said that's a that's a a really cool story i wonder if it was a a kid that he signed it for right uh who held on to it Uh, i think i'd be interested to see the backstory uh behind that but yeah yeah that's a great little story mont i was uh i was going to bring up the uh, phil jackson uh controversy that was going on but after that story, I'm I'm too happy to bring Phil Jackson yeah, into the conversation. Let's, let's end on a on a cute on a cute high note, man. Let's like, do it. Maybe, oh, maybe we can do it. that on Wednesday. But it is a well, conversation that we need to talk about because a, a a you know somebody like Phil Jackson not watching basketball anymore, I think is a pretty big story. Oh, for sure. Like the guy is a basketball genius, right? He's like um, the mastermind behind one of the greatest basketball teams, the great two greatest basketball teams in history. Right. So for someone like someone like that to not have any interest or not have a want or doesn't watch basketball anymore. I mean, that's, that's crazy to me. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about it on Wednesday. You know? Yeah. I think, I think it's a good segment for culture Wednesdays. So (laughs) Wednesday is always a good controversial day for us. So I mean, let's, 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 let's go. Let's go. I like it. Well, uh, I think it's time to wrap up our longest podcast. Uh, in the history of uh, PJs, uh, but it was such a such a great conversation we couldn't couldn't stop it. So uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, I'm Ruben Mitchell. It's Monty Fraser. This is PJs podcast. Go subscribe, uh, like on any social media platform. It helps us out tremendously. Uh, leave a comment um, if there's something that you want us us to discuss or talk about. Uh, please leave a comment or send us a message. Uh, But this is PJ's podcast where we speak of the three things that matter, politics, Jesus, and sports. Brother, I love you. Love you, brother. I'll see you later.